So, Will. A.S. As we hit episode 250 in year five of Love and the Love, we have also hit five years of watching DreamWorks Animation Studios movies. Yeah, because we covered Shrek in like the first 15 episodes. Right. And then we gave ourselves this horrible burden, I think by our second one, the second DreamWorks movie we watched. I think Shark Tale we just did because it's such a weird movie. Okay. And maybe it was Shark Tale that made us decide to do all of the DreamWorks movies. Hashtag the dream lives. But I think it's time. Does your... Yes. Oh, I was going to ask if any new DreamWorks films come out. Are those requirements? Um, We haven't really discussed it because it hasn't come up yet. My inclination is yes. Especially now that DreamWorks is finally putting out a Puss in Boots movie, I think it would be fun for us to do that. Ah, okay. I do think we have to cover that one. I don't know if we need to do the bad guys. Bad guys? Kind of good guys. Have you seen it? Not great guys, but like kind of good. Yeah, I saw it in 3D. Because I'm sick of the trailers for it. Well, that's fine. I don't know that I'm seeing the trailers for it anymore because it came out in April. (laughs) I think I saw trailers in May. Fiona is retroactively sick of trailers (laughs) that haven't been shown in three months. No, I swear I have seen them recently. I would believe you saw like TV promos because it just hit Peacock. This was in a theater. I don't know. (laughs) I, when did Jurassic World come out? Uh, Beginning of June? Yep, saw a trailer then. Really? Yes! I'm not disbelieving you, but I am incredulous. Yeah. That sounds like a mistake. I'll say this. The Bad Guys has a pretty good trailer in that the trailer reveals less of the movie than you think it does. Mm. Like, it Mm. feels like an annoying modern trailer that tells you, like, all three beats of the movie, but it really doesn't. And I was impressed by that when I saw it in an empty theater. Well, I guess when we get to it someday, I will learn more. I'm just saying, like, I think The Bad Guys is going to provide a better episode than, like, Mr. Peabody and Sherman will. I keep forgetting about that one. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't exist. It's not Meet the Robinsons. No. In my head, they are the the same. Meet the Robinsons is based on a book by the same guy who wrote the books that Rise of the Guardians is based on. This is based off a book? A series of books. Well, it's Rise of the Guardians is more inspired by books. Like, it was developed at the same time the books were being written, and the guy was working on both. So the books are all about, like, the origins of these characters. And then the movie, it's like hundreds of years later, they're all working together. Okay. Hmm. Uh... Before we dive into The Guardians Rising, I do think it's worth taking a minute to kind of analyze the state of DreamWorks animations and our feelings about them. Okay. Um, so where are you at on that? I feel like sort of the running joke of this for a long time was that I was at least somewhat curious about it and you were actively hostile to covering them. But recently you have been the one saying at various points, like, ah, it's time for us to do another DreamWorks. Like, it was your idea... <laughs> To do one for our 250th episode. That's because I complain more on the podcast about things that I actually feel. There's this thing called a bit, Will. (laughs) (laughs) Have you decided which one will be your 250th? This is it. This is it. Wait. I would have gotten another cookie cake. (laughs) Oh, damn it. This will be out in like August. You've got time to get it to us. Well, maybe I'll wait for 300. (laughs) (laughs) Only one more year. My general thoughts on DreamWorks at this point, especially after this one, is movies I remember liking more as a kid turn out to be worse than some of the movies that I never watched. Can you, like, speak to some examples? I remember Madagascar being good. And I thought the Croods would be so bad I had no interest. Granted, they came out when I was, you know, a child versus a teen. It's like an eight-year difference. But still, I remember liking Madagascar. I thought Shark Tale was fun. I even remember thinking this one was fun. I watched this, and I was like, this is so dull. And it was quite confusing. I remember thinking Shark Tale was kind of fun, but I think a a large part of that was just, like, kind of the same. I mean, Finding Nemo is a good movie, but just, like, the underwater scenes, all the fun, colorful fish, I think that's why I enjoyed Shark Tale. Yeah, I think Shark Tale... Fiona, we also had a sort of, like, that experience of kids in the home video era where, like, you just watch the same movies over and over again. And Shark Tale is one of the DVDs that our grandparents had. 
So yep. we watched Shark Tale at our grandparents' house like a dozen times. Yeah. So you just kind of take for granted, like, this is what movies are. Movies are Shark Tale. <laughs> <laughs> movies are Shark Tale. Thank God that's not the truth. I am a sucker for a musical number, and my primary memory of the film Shark Tale is the car wash scene. It's so good. It's a good sequence. And Sexy Fish. Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> Sexy Fish, a central aesthetic of that movie. I feel like Sexy Fish encapsulates a big problem with DreamWorks, which is their love of celebrity and weird attempt to make things more attractive than they should be. The funniest one to me is the sexy horse in spirit. <laughs> that is because that's emblematic. a movie. That's a movie that otherwise is like very deliberately avoiding a lot of like anthropomorphic attitudes. The animal characters do not speak, but that lady horse still got to be sexy. Is the new Spirit movie a DreamWorks movie? Yes. Oh, so that's got to be on your list. We'll see. Uh- <laughs> but it's. It's based off the TV show, based off of the movie. And the TV show is like Horse Girl, the TV show. Yeah. Interesting. And then yeah, I don't the know about movie that is based off that. I have no interest. The celebrity voice casting thing, we've talked about this before, is something that Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was the head of DreamWorks Animation, brought to the studio from his time at Disney from roughly 1984 to 1994. And... He did a little bit of that at Disney, of course, like most famously with Robin Williams and Aladdin, but other famous people too, like in Pocahontas and Lion King and all that. But then when they go to DreamWorks, they just hit the ground running with the celebrity voice casting, leading off with their first two movies are Ants and Prince of Egypt, which are movie star casts. At least with Prince of Egypt, they cast singers as the singing roles. Yes, they did. And I feel like casting... A celebrity singer in a singing role is better than just casting Will Smith as a fish. Well, what I think is interesting is, like, Katzenberg's stated goal with Prince of Egypt, and I think Ants to a lesser extent, was to, like, break animation out of just being the kids' movie space. And, like, what are the other kinds of stories we can tell in animation? And I think that's part of why adult stars were attractive, not just because, like, it would hopefully, like, bring in more box office and stuff, but, like, oh, people will follow movie stars the way they do in live action. And I think Shark Tale and Kung Fu Panda and Madagascar are movies where, like, the best version of them is star-driven comedies. Like, Shark Tale, not as, like, a weird fish movie, but as a Will Smith movie. And, like, Kung Fu Panda follows the arc of a Jack Black movie. But genuinely, like, I think what breaks DreamWorks for so long is Shrek. And as much as Shrek becomes a cultural juggernaut, it becomes so much the template for the studio that, like, they have Shrek and then they have these 2D films, like Spirit and Road to El Dorado, that are just consistently underperforming. And so they spend the 2000s just doubling down on, like, snarky, irreverent comedy. And so what makes a movie like Madagascar frustrating is the fact that at no point do you feel like the movie takes its own emotional story seriously because it's so busy winking at you and so busy making like New York Giants jokes. And the best movies in DreamWorks 2010s, How to Train Your Dragon, The Croods, are movies that get away from that. And it was interesting reading some stuff around this movie where the director, Peter Ramsey, blamed the box office failure of Rise of the Guardians on the studio saying DreamWorks doesn't know how to market an earnest movie. Hmm. That's very blatant and bold, and I respect it. <laughs> well, he said it seven years later. Oh, wow. Even still, I guess at that point you can say the Rise of the Guardian sequel is not happening. Yeah, and by that point, Peter Ramsey had an Oscar, so like he's going to get work. How did they advertise this movie? I mean, they advertised it like a DreamWorks movie. You know, it's more like quippy and, and jokes and winking. Okay. And it's not. It's like a very earnest movie. Yeah, yeah. there's not that many jokes and a lot more action sequences that I remember. Yeah, I think I was often surprised when there was a joke. This is a weird movie. Should we start talking about it? Yeah, I think that's fine. And we'll talk DreamWorks again in the fall when we talk Puss in Boots. Oh my god, it's coming. The first ever animated Puss in Boots movie. That was our last wish, was for DreamWorks to finally live up to that stated (laughs) promise. It's, you know, it took them a while. They had a lot of soul searching to do. Yeah, and some soul surfing to do, too. Oh. Boo. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. 
And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And will Fifi Fierce herself be even able to find five points in this movie? (laughs) Also, are these people dateable or even likable? Doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, as we've been very clear about, we are continuing our look at the romances of DreamWorks Animation by looking at their 2012 holiday character mashup, Rise of the Guardians. And to do that, we are, of course, joined by Fifi Fierce. Hello! I'm so, so happy to be here for this. So, Mark, it sounds like you had seen this before. I feel like I watched this, I guess, probably in 2012, like during my gap year, but not in theaters. I think I would have been in Beijing around that time, so I probably watched it on some illegal DVD I bought off the street. FBI, don't come for me. In China? <laughs> yes. And I remember it being more entertaining than I found it this time around. So what was it that worked or didn't work for you? I'm curious. I think what I... I don't know. It was just... It was simultaneously fast-paced and slow-paced in a way that I found kind of disconcerting where things are happening all the time but at the same time very little is happening i think i came away more positive than negative on this which i had i had never seen this before by this point i was no longer seeing dreamworks movies i think madagascar is the last one that i saw in theaters and i saw kung fu panda on a dvd several years later part of it like i'm i'm very split on some aspects of this movie for the most part i think the animation is pretty cool i think that most of the holiday characters have cool designs and cool character animation. I think a lot of the environments are pretty cool looking, but the humans are still funky. I liked the snow and ice. I thought they did a good job with his powers. And yeah, also, everything yes. with the staff was very cool. Not gonna lie, I love the Yetis. The Yetis are great. They were cute. Like anybody who's like slightly monstrous, like anybody who doesn't look like just a normal person, I think is kind of cool. The Yetis are great. I love the big stone egg automaton guys. Those are great. Oh, those were cool. The elves are just The little eggs too, though. Okay, I have a story about the elves. Okay, I am not anti-elves. I like how weird and dumb they are. Okay. I'm not anti-elves, but they are weird. I'm anti-elves. I like how much these elves break out of, like, the question of, like, is this just a, like, little person thing? Where it's like, no, these are, like little gremlins that are pretty worthless but are kind of goofy to have around they're like the pit droids from the phantom menace they exist in a really weird space between being treated like people and like objects and their level of sentience makes me feel that they are kind of disposed of a little too callously that's again that's why they feel like comedy droids it works better if they're robots because you know there's less emotion attached there Not none, but a robot can be fixed. These elves often seem like they are just murdered. Incinerated? I would not be surprised if a Russian Santa had an incinerator and the North Pole was powered by just throwing elves as they got old into it. Especially when it is Russian Santa who is also Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I had never seen this movie, but when I watched it for this podcast, I did yell out loud the first time I saw the elves. And this is because this the year that this movie came out, as they are want to do, McDonald's featured this movie with their Happy Meal toys. And, and you would have been in college at this point. I was in college. And I went on over my winter break. I had a month long winter break every year, which was really nice. And so I got to like do trips some of the times. And so I went on a Habitat for Humanity trip and we were in Charleston and we were like painting some houses there that Habitat was going to then sell to people or give, I I forget how that works, but we are there and we are all staying in this house that can sleep like 20 people. And for whatever reason in the house, we find the creepiest looking McDonald's Happy Meal toy. And it was a weird little creature with a, it was like a full red hat with a little blue 
pom-pom at the top, and then its face was just there. And we all thought this was the creepiest thing, and so we spent the whole week, like, hiding it in people's stuff. And so you'd find the elf, and then you'd have to go hide it somewhere else. And then we left the house, and I thought that was the end of it. And months, six months later, after I have now graduated from college, I come home one night, and there is a package in the mailbox addressed to me with no return address with the stupid elf toy. <laughs> Someone stole it? Do you know it? where it came from? I I asked everybody. Nobody owned up to sending it to me. And then I'm watching this movie and suddenly I was like, that's where that stupid elf came from. Ten years later. Ten years later, I finally figured out what this elf was. I still don't know who mailed it to me, though. Do you still have it? I don't think so. I did keep it for a while for some reason. Wow. Speaking of fast food, we are recording this very in advance and I would like to speak something into existence. By the time this episode what, comes out- you want a cookie out, cake? I mean, yes. I will have eaten the Taco Bell giant Cheez-It. You know you can order it plain and you just get a giant Cheez-It? Really? What is this? So, Mark, do you want to explain this? So, I believe it's only at one location currently, but Taco Bell has partnered with Cheez-It to make a Cheez-It Tostada, where they made one giant Cheez-It and then they load it up with taco toppings. And I want to eat it's it. It's huge, Fiona. Google this. I, that's what, I'm Googling it right now. Oh, so they like put your taco on it then. Right. But you can just order a Cheez-It without anything on it? Right. It's possible to order it plain and you just get a giant Cheez-It. Wait, I'm seeing articles from the last 24 hours saying they've already gotten rid of it. Oh my god. Taco Bell's big Cheez-It Tostada is dead. May it stay that way. <laughs> Oh, no. It was only available in Irvine. By July 3rd, the company announced it would no longer be available. The supplies ran out fast. They should know. If you're going to come up with a weird novelty food, everybody's going to go just to get it. You need to be prepared. So, I'm sorry, Mark. This will not happen by the time this comes out on, I believe, August 30th. Damn it. August 29th. Reading Axios' article about it, and apparently it is just awful. It gets soggy so fast. I'm annoyed by this whole situation because one, Taco Bell betrayed you, and two, we've all now read Axios. <laughs> With a title like that, I know it's clickbaity, but when something says may it stay that way, I am intrigued. No, Axios is one of those like terrible news outlets created by former Politico writers. Yeah. Who are like, Politico was better when it was more clickbaity. Ugh. So now there are like four versions of Playbook floating around. Ugh. Well, unfortunately, I will never get to eat the giant cheese it. But fortunately, I'm so sorry for you, Mark, Fiona does now know where a creepy elf that haunted her memories <laughs> originated. Yes, that's I do. what we're about. We're about solving mysteries here. Well, you've got another case case closed. A mystery that Fiona probably didn't even realize was a mystery that it could be solved. Yeah, that could be solved. Yeah. I had completely forgotten about the elf, and it re-entered my life this past week. We do now need to solve who sent it to you. Yeah. Yeah. I need you to go, I assume you've moved probably twice since then, but go track down the box. I assume it hasn't been destroyed, so we can send (laughs) it away for handwriting analysis. Maybe the postables can help us with that. Oh, maybe. Call in Norman now. I'll get right on this. I am actually really curious. So, Mark, getting back to what you said about this as a movie with, like, a lot going on and also not a lot. I think, for again, I think I came down more positively on this movie than you did. Because I enjoyed, like, basically all of the holiday business. Like, I don't care that much about the children. But, like, the holiday characters and their interactions I think are good. I think, like, the characters are, are well-defined and I like seeing them interact with each other. My real issue is I just did not care about Jack's backstory. So anytime Jack is, like wait, I have memories, I can find out who I was. I'm like, ah, who cares? You can do magic now, you're good. Yeah, that's kind of how I was too. I really did not care about where he came from because also it's pretty obvious to figure out on your own because he wakes up in a po- in a freezing cold pond. Bold of this movie to start with the death of a child. Well, a lot of Disney movies start with the death of a parent. So in them trying to slightly knock off a Disney movie, they had to do it with a child. 
So you're saying that in the tradition of like some DreamWorks movies mirroring yes. a Disney movie. This was their the this was their here. Disney mirror here. I also do have to say I had so many issues with the internal logic of this world that I could not move past. No, it's great. <laughs> Voice your concerns. Again, I think that this movie is like a three out of five for me. So like I'm not yeah. high on it, but I think the world is funny. And- I am just incapable of understanding a world where the Tooth Fairy exists and the Easter Bunny exists and Santa Claus exists, and yet people don't believe in them. Because that means that every house in the world is getting a present and Easter eggs. Also, they don't address the Christianity element. Are only Christians getting Easter eggs? Or in this world, does the Easter Bunny give Easter eggs to everyone? That doesn't matter as much. But parents are waking up on Christmas morning with presents there that they did not put out. How are they explaining this to themselves without Santa Claus? So yeah, the Santa and Tooth Fairy ones are a problem. Easter Bunny I don't have a problem with because clearly he just, like, hides eggs at egg hunts. So, like, to your question about Christians, like, I guess anybody who goes looking for eggs will find eggs. But, like, if you are, like, Jewish and you don't go hunting for eggs on Easter, you won't find any because it's not a thing you're out looking for. But, to your point, Mark, this is not the only movie where that is the case. Like. It's, no, it's every yeah, Tooth Fairy and all of them. Movie. Like, it doesn't really make sense. And it really, I struggle to focus on any movie about Santa Claus where this is an issue. <laughs> also, they never address why, if they get power from belief and children that believe in them can see them, why don't they get seen? They never give a reason for the need for secrecy. So yeah. that's a good point. Why do they have to be secret? Why do they have to be secret? I think it... I think maybe I was going to say it matters like that people are choosing to believe in them rather than stating it as a fact. But the thing that keeps them going in the final fight is that the one kid like Jamie or whatever his name is believes in them. And he has right. He believes in them so hard because he literally saw them and they didn't freak out that much about it. They like started having fun with him. Maybe they like to not be seen because it's still fun to like have surprises and so like you get a gift and it it wasn't just handed to you directly it's a little bit of a surprise or it's like easier to do the job if people aren't yeah like, i mean imagine them. if you have to stop and talk with every child that you're bringing a gift to on christmas eve you'll never finish this just feels like something the movie should have addressed yeah i think that is more striking to me than the standard like wait why would anyone not believe because that's that not a fault of this is movie. Par for the yeah, course. That's not a fault of this movie right. specifically. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Something I was thinking about a lot was in a recent to when we were recording X Men comic, they were laying out like this whole explanation for like why Marvel gods have different levels of power, and it was all scaled based on like how many believers they have, and so like ones with very little belief can like barely manifest. Ones with more can only manifest to people who believe in them. And so I was kind of thinking, like, okay, well, do these sorts of rules apply? Discworld rules. In this movie. Right. And it's like, well, kind of. The secrecy thing is a, is a good point and a weird one. Have you read Small Gods, the Discworld book? No. No. It's really good. So in Discworld, the more believers you have, the more powerful you are. And there's a yeah. god who, like, the religion has become so dogmatic that people don't believe in it in him anymore and he's reduced to being just like a turtle and there's only one guy who believes in him as he actually exists that then he has to like work with to try and kind of reestablish belief in the god rather than religion it's very interesting also very funny that is interesting but i guess that would explain why santa claus is the most powerful because kids like him the most and believe in him in him the most right And so that makes him, like, the most influential. It makes him, like, the leader of the Guardians who are chosen by the man in the moon to protect childlike wonder. He protects wonder. The Easter Bunny protects hope. The Sandman protects dreams. And the Tooth Fairy protects memories. That was weird to me. That your teeth hold your memories. I did not like that. I like that because I like the answer for why the Tooth Fairy wants them. I mean, I guess that's an explanation, but it's weird. It's weird and fundamentally made up, but at least they tried. 
No, all, Mark, all of this is made up. None of these people are real. I think every time I thought about yes. it, I just thought of someone, like, you. holding a handful of teeth and, like, rattling them around in their hands. And I do not like I that. I think that's great because, like, teeth are kind of witchy. And so, like, the idea, like, somebody who collects teeth, there's a, there's a witchy aspect to that. And so I like the idea that there is a magical essence to the teeth. I like that they made I the guess. tooth fairy really weird because the tooth fairy is the weirdest of them. Her little teeth fairy bird things were really cute, though. So, like I said, this movie is based on a series of books by William Joyce, who was a writer and an artist. Like, he's done artwork for The New Yorker. He did some concept art for Toy Story and A Bug's Life. Like I said, he wrote the book that Meet the Robinsons is based on. He wrote the Roly Poly Oli books. I definitely watched that show. I have definitely seen it. I've seen it. I did not know... There was a book. It's like a series of picture books. And then in 2005, he started an animation studio called Amesworth Amusements. And this project, which at the time was called Guardians of Childhood, was one of their first projects that they were trying to get underway. And they made a short film to get the concept rolling. You can find a like pretty low-quality version of it on YouTube. It's called Man in the Moon. It's like four minutes, and it's the origin story for the Man in the Moon, who is initially... A baby who flies in a bowler hat, lands on the moon. He is surrounded by robots that look a lot like Roly Polioli. And then it seems like the robots are going to like kill the baby. But the baby speaks the secret, sacred word of the robots, which is toot toot. So then the robots like herald him as a god and protect him. And he grows up to be the man in the moon. That's I'm kind of glad they didn't weird. show the man in the moon. Yeah, no, I like it where... There's almost a quality of, like, how real is the man in the yeah. moon here? There's another level of belief going beyond people believing in the Guardians, the Guardians believing in man mm-hmm. So he was trying to do this at his independent studio. He sold the rights to DreamWorks in 2008 with the promise from DreamWorks that he would be involved. So he was originally attached as a co-director along with Peter Ramsey, but then Joyce's daughter died. The movie's dedicated to her. And so then he stepped back and became an executive producer. And Peter Ramsey directed it, which made him the first African-American to solo direct a studio animated movie. Um, I just looked up the book titles. I gotta say. Yeah? They're pretty cool. <laughs> they're really intense. So the books are origin stories for each of the Guardians, set like 300 years before the movie. Fiona, the books are Nicholas St. North and the Battle of the Nightmare King. Oh my gosh. E. Aster Bunnymund and the Warrior Eggs at the Earth's Core. Toothiana, Queen of the Tooth Fairy Armies. The Sandman in the War of Dreams. And Jack Frost, <laughs> The End Becomes the Beginning. Whoa. The covers are very intense looking too. Yeah. So that's like one angle into this movie is you've got William Joyce as like the big sort of idea man behind it all. It's directed by Peter Ramsey, who had been a second unit director in the 90s. Like, he did the second unit on Poetic Justice and the Roland Emmerich Godzilla. And he was also a storyboard artist, mostly at DreamWorks. But he also did storyboards for, like, Men in Black and Independence Day. So you got Ramsey, you have Joyce, and then sort of the third creative leg of the stool is, of course, Pulitzer Prize winner David Lindsay Abair. Ah, yes, of course. You know, the guy who wrote Rabbit Hole. What is Rabbit Hole? Rabbit Hole is a play about this couple, like, processing the death of their young child. There was a movie a couple years later with Aaron Eckert and Nicole Kidman. Why is he involved in this? Well, um, he had connections to animation and he had connections to DreamWorks. DreamWorks because he wrote the book for Shrek the Musical. And animation because he wrote an early draft of Blue Sky's Robots. And then they threw out most of his draft because they said he was making the characters sound too old-timey. I think we should watch robots. I also think we should watch robots. There is a character named Aunt Fanny who has a large butt. I don't know if I ever saw robots. I definitely saw robots, but I don't know if you did. Like, I saw it in theaters and we had it on DVD. Oh, you know, if we had it at home, then I probably saw it once or twice. Robin Williams played, like, a recluse obsessed with building elaborate domino things. That sounds kind of familiar. So we've mentioned that Rise of the Guardians was a financial disappointment. It opened in fourth place behind Breaking Dawn Part 2, Skyfall, and Rough Weekend on November 23rd, 2012. Yeah, and 
all of those were just holding exactly their places from the week before. So it's Breaking Dawn was number one two weeks in a row. Skyfall was number two two weeks in a row. Lincoln was number three two weeks in a row. So Rise of the Guardians came out and did not affect the top three. That's honestly kind of surprising for a DreamWorks movie. Right, yeah. Now, Breaking Dawn and Lincoln dropped off, and by December, Skyfall was in number one, and Rise of the Guardians had climbed up to number two. But That's like, a big move. In the end, though, like Rise of the Guardians just barely crossed $100 million in the U.S. and Canada, and it just barely crossed $300 million worldwide, all of which made it DreamWorks' lowest opener since Flushed Away, and the studio lost over $80 million on it, making it their first loss since Sinbad. Oh my god. Also, I remember Fleshed Away being pretty good, so I'm curious about that one. That's one of the forgotten ones. Fleshed Away, I definitely saw in theaters. That one I know I did not see. That one's also like a little different because that's an Aardman movie distributed by DreamWorks. Oh, yeah. And Aardman usually hits. Aardman is usually good. They don't usually make a ton of money. Yes. That is a better way of phrasing it. But as a result of this, like... In March of 2013, like four months later, DreamWorks Animation restructured and in the process laid off 350 employees. And the stated reason was Rise of the Guardians underperformed so much we can't afford it. Oh my god. That feels a little iffy. I'm sure a little bit, but also like a studio as small as this, you can't take a lot of losses. Like they're not putting out 12 movies a year. They're putting like four years of development into each movie, like a lot more labor. Like, animated movies are expensive. Yeah, that's true. They kind of have to hit or else they fail. Yeah. Rise of the Guardians did get a bunch of Annie Award nominations. It got a nomination there for Best Animated Feature, and it won for storyboarding and visual effects. It was also nominated for the Golden Globe for Animated Picture, but was locked out at the Oscars, which was seen as another blow for DreamWorks. Do you have the other nominated Oscars that year for animation? Yeah, it was kind of a weak year. It was Frankenweenie, Paranorman, The Pirates, Wreck-It Ralph, and the winner was Brave. Hmm. I liked Brave. Just gonna put it out there. I have not seen it since I saw it in theaters. I liked Brave, but I was really disappointed because all of the trailers had that one phrase like, if you had the chance to choose your fate, would you? If you had the chance to change your fate, would you? Would you? And then that line never showed up in fate. the movie. I think the tagline was change your fate. Something like that. Yeah. Also locked out of that year's Oscars, Hotel Transylvania. Hmm. I haven't seen that. You like it, right? Yeah, I watched the new one last night, and it's not good, though. What, number four? Yes. Yeah, okay. There are four of them? Yes, but this one is not directed by Gendy Tartakovsky. I am not surprised that it didn't perform well. So I think, though, this movie comes at an interesting place in DreamWorks. It's literally the last movie distributed by Paramount for them, and Paramount was their distributor after they spun off from the main DreamWorks. So it's at an obvious turning point in the company, and it is this attempt to do an adaptation, but one that is more earnest than something like Shrek. And I think, like, this is another one of the movies, like How to Train Your Dragon, where they have Roger Deakins and Guillermo del Toro consulting, and, like, providing story ideas, and Deakins working on, like, here's how to make a thing, like, look really good visually, and I think you can see that in, like, the ice effects and Sandman and stuff like that, but... There are pieces of it that don't just quite click together in a way that, like, I think a lot of the stuff that I like in this movie is executed, like, 10% better in The Croods, which comes out the next spring. Yeah. I think The Croods is definitely a better movie than this. But it feels like more of a realization of the trends that are taking place here. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I'm not, like, wowed by this movie, but I found it more interesting than I feared I would. I think it has a good villain, and that does always help. Yeah. Well, having Jude Law is always stacking the deck in your favor. True. True. I think like 80% of what I like about that villain is that it's Jude Law. Yeah. The corrupted black sand is pretty creepy. Oh, yeah, that's good. for sure. And Especially the nightmares. Especially because I really liked the yellow sand. I thought it was very cool. It's really pretty. And the Sandman's a fun little guy. He's goofy. Yeah. He is just a fun little guy. So... I think we should probably talk about the romance of this movie, such as it is. Yeah, good luck, Fiona. And that's why we should probably say that our commitment to DreamWorks <laughs> does not always line up with our commitment to romance. For reference, see our Turbo episode. Also, Madagascar. What, what did you do in 
in the Turbo one again? Well, Turbo had a little bit of romance, but it required breaking individual conversations up into multiple Oh, oh okay. <laughs> yes, but at least there was romance in that one. Madagascar and this one had none. Hey, Madagascar, there was a lot of staring at people's butts. <laughs> and this one, I don't know, maybe Fiona found something. There could maybe be like some flirtatious looks she noticed. So every week we break down the romantic plot of a movie into five points. Fiona, you're in charge of it. <laughs> Rise of the Guardians. Yeah, this was really, really... I just read the points and the first three (laughs) take place in ten seconds! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have not looked at that. Okay, this is um, a new... A new type of relationship that I don't think any of your other episodes have covered. And that would be the flirtationship between Tooth Fairy and not Jack, but his teeth. (laughs) <laughs> that was well that was all i could find guys there is okay. not a lot to work right. here i believe that she would kiss a tooth oh i believe it absolutely she might like cuddle up next to a tooth i can easily see her falling in love with someone because they had nice teeth and really focusing yeah. in on the oh, definitely teeth. i like it when she's showing off those those teeth to kids and it's like look at this tooth with all the blood and gums on oh. it Yeah, and see, until she explained the whole thing about the memories, I was like, you know what? It is kind of weird. Like, what is someone doing with the teeth? This is creepy. I wish the palace had been made out of teeth. Oh, that would have been cool. It should have been. I read a little bit about, like, tooth lore and, like, teeth and fairies because I was curious about, like, what is the deal with this? And a lot of, like, here's what to do with your baby tooth stuff originally is, like, you should burn your teeth. Ew. Ew, why? Because if your teeth are lying around, one, a witch could get them and control you with it. And then also, you need to burn your teeth so that your teeth go to the afterlife. Otherwise, when you die, your spirit will be forced to wander the earth looking for your teeth. Why doesn't it just, like, eat smoothies then? What? Why would you need your teeth in the afterlife? Just eat smoothies. You know, I don't think they were discussing that in, like... (laughs) Early medieval Scandinavia. <laughs> okay. So this is a romance between uh, immortal sentient being and dead bones. Well, uh, that contain memories, don't you forget. Right. Okay. Yep. So point number one is in another world, this is something that I like might have put as a point zero, but I really needed a point one so that I could have <laughs> five points. So... Uh, The Tooth Fairy, she meets Jack for the first time and says that she has heard such great things about his teeth. So she's got this history. She's heard of his teeth. She's out there. She knows these great teeth are out there. That's point one. And the Tooth Fairy? Hello, Jack. I've heard a lot about you and your teeth. My my what? (laughs) So point one is just, we're told (laughs) that at an earlier point she heard about Yeah, there's a history between her and these teeth. You're right. This is a real Fiona point. Yeah, exactly. Okay, point two. Now that she has met the teeth, she confirms that they are super white, just like she thought. Open up. Are they really as white as they say? Yes. Oh, they really do sparkle like freshly fallen snow. And they are beautiful pearly whites. And, you know, I think she's a little bit smitten with these teeth. I mean, she definitely is. Like, there is stuff that if you were desperate to read romance another way, like... (laughs) She seems almost flirty towards Jack, but her interest is entirely in his teeth. Well, okay. And the whole time, so when I was watching the movie, I first was like, okay, I think this is between the Tooth Fairy and Jack's teeth. And I was sitting there ready to fully pivot. I was like, they're a little flirty. Is it her and Jack? Is it actually Jack? And then I was like, I don't know. She seems too old. And it never happened. And so I stuck with the teeth. They are all, he is 300 years old. He's 300? Yeah. yeah. No, I didn't. I missed that. He was wearing, like, pilgrim clothes when he fell in the pond. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Which I appreciated a little bit because when they're introduced, I was like, wow, these look like 17th century to me. So then jumping, like, 300 years to the present dish, I'm like, all right, that's fine. But then later on, they referred to the Dark Ages and also showed people in those clothes. And I didn't love that. Yeah. But also the Dark Ages is a stupid term, so. Yeah, I mean, we could get into a whole debate, or not even debate. I think we were all on the same side. But I also just find it odd that 
he changed his clothes to be a hoodie and jeans when he's not seen he's or cool. corporeal. Where did he get the clothes? Well, what was he wearing? What was he wearing when he came out of the pond? Like period clothes, oh, I think. Oh, right? okay. He had like a cloak. Yeah, I think his clothes changed, but how did he change them? I guess magic. I don't know, but if he thought he was going to be able to be seen by people, maybe he just wanted to fit in. Elsa did make a dress out of ice. Time. Yeah. Oh, I do want to shout out the tooth fairies, the little bird ones. Also, look at Jack lovingly, just as another romantic moment. Oh, yes. They yes. kind of like shadow her, and they also love the teeth. Do you think they have independent thought? I like a hive mind idea. Yeah. yeah. Is Toothiana, the tooth fairy, queen of the hive mind, or do they just work for her? Like, is she tapped into that mental space? I don't think so, because at one point she tells Jack, like, I feel like she, maybe she's, like, kind of built herself an empire, and now she's the top of it, because it sounded like she used to be the one who went and collected all the teeth, and then she said, like, oh, I've really missed this, getting to actually go see the kids. So it sounds like she doesn't even go collect the teeth anymore. So she's like a conquering warlord. Yeah, she just like has this large operation that she runs and all the little bird fairies do the work for her. Cool. Do we think Santa conquered the yetis or did he enlist them? I'm just saying we got sword wielding Santa here. I hope it's a partnership or at least an Im- yeah. they're paid. Maybe they worked together to conquer the North Pole from the elves. Maybe. It could be. Someone, Jack said like, oh, I thought the elves made the toys. And Santa said, oh, we just let them think that. Like, the elves are deluded. Mm -hmm. Maybe Santa's feeding them, like, laced cookies every day. The Yeti painting the robots blue, and then Santa saying to paint them red, made me chuckle. And then flipped when he painted the eggs red. The eggs being painted red, and the Easter Bunny says to paint them blue, where he freaks out again, (laughs) did make me laugh. Yes, the frustrated Yeti is a good Yeti. Where are we in the points, Fiona? Oh, points? Oh, well, next would be uh, point three. Okay. Point three is when the Tooth Fairy actually finally, like, really gets to know these teeth. And we see that when she has her hands in Jack's mouth so she can better look at them. Girls, pull yourselves together. Let's not disgrace the uniform. Again, I would like to point out, these points take place in less than 10 (laughs) seconds. It's a a fast relationship, Mark. Everyone moves at their own speed. Let's go around and share which of the voice actors you would most want to have their hand in your mouth. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, I think the answer is pretty clear. <laughs> what, Jude Law? Oh, I'm torn. Jude Law or Chris Pine? Oh, I forgot Chris Pine. I wasn't even thinking about Jude Law. He's a villain, Will. He commits murder, <laughs> maybe. voice actors. True. So point four. Point four, <clears throat> as they're kind of going along and Pitch has visited, he's threatened to spread his nightmares across the world and all the guardians kind of decide that they are going to fight him. But Pitch kind of makes his way. He goes from the Tooth Fairy world to the Easter world to Santa's house. I, I don't, can't remember if that's the right order. So they're all, they've decided they're going to fight him. And all this time, Jack is sort of still trying to fit in. None of the guardians were really happy that he was selected by the man in the moon. And Pitch is kind of trying to appeal to that fact that Jack doesn't fit in and get him to join his side, which Jack honestly never really considers. But he does get lured into a trap by Pitch where he ends up getting his memories in his teeth. And he's He's with Baby Tooth, and they get thrown into some cavern. And when he finally gets back, all the others see that he has his teeth. So they know that he has been with Pitch, and the Tooth Fairy is very upset about this. Also, it's because, like, that was happening while they were all supposed to be, like, distributing Easter eggs to save holidays and to save kids believing in them. So it's like, the eggs were all destroyed by the Nightmare Horses, and they're like, Jack, where were you? And they see him holding his teeth. So it's like, oh, Jack, you ditched us and did what you wanted. Right. So they think he just left to go get his memories and he prioritized himself over them and all of the children of the world. And so this is a rough time for the relationship between the tooth fairy and the teeth because she can't trust the mouth that they belong to. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a thing she says. But you can tell. There's there's a lot of um, interpretation going on in this one. (laughs) 
Uh, Pure conjecture. <laughs> what what else would you like me to provide for you? No, I'm loving this. Okay. Um, so that's point four. And then point five is, I guess, I guess we can kind of go through the backstory here, but Pitch is continuing to take over the world with his nightmares and they are down to one child left. And that's, I think his name is Jamie. So they all sort of show up in his neighborhood and Jack starts a snowball fight with Pitch, which he ends up winning. And at that point, he earns his place with the Guardians and all of them accept him and they kind of welcome him in. He finds his center, which uh, was fun. And at that point, now that he's back in their good graces, the Tooth Fairy can, you know, she, she can feel okay with the teeth now. They're trustworthy teeth. Jack! Uh, Jack! You okay? Uh, what are you doing here? Same as you. This should have been our cold open. What's everybody's favorite fictional teeth? <laughs> are there others? I hated that sentence. Like, like a dragon teeth. tooth? Or like, maybe there's a vampire whose teeth you really like? I do love the concept of burying dragon teeth and then getting an army of skeletons. What is that I from? didn't know about this. That's in, like, Greek mythology, I think. It happens in the Percy cool. Jackson books. Yeah, see, like, that's a good fictional tooth. It's a good use of teeth. There's a basilisk tooth. Right, basilisk teeth in Harry Potter. Maybe, like, some, some sparkly twilight teeth. Do the teeth Is sparkle? teeth in twilight? They're vampires! Oh, yeah, but they don't have fangs. They absolutely have fangs. Oh, I guess they must. The werewolves in twilight also have fangs. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Don't shoot down my questions. All right. Do we find this ridiculous romance believable? No. <laughs> I mean, I will say she loves And a teeth. light winks out on the map of the world. <laughs> <laughs> she does love teeth. She and does. his teeth are white. And he does let her down and then impress her. Are we giving it a 10 out of 10? No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I'm just kidding. This movie is absurd. Honestly, right. the movie's not movie absurd. This no point is absurd. Yeah, I mean, from a romance perspective, really, you can't give it anything because that was all fake. Honestly, well, this I movie is believable in that there is no romance because I don't believe any of these people would get together. That's true. Give me a second. I'm trying to see what we did with Madagascar. Yeah, Madagascar, we did not score. And I feel good about doing that again. Okay. okay. Uh, do you think that Tuthiana or Jack is dateable? No. Um... I mean, I think Jack does grow as a character, but he is pretty annoying and all he's really into pranks and sometimes pranks get old. Yeah, he's mischievous. Yeah. And Toothiana, I, th- I, I, I think it's weird how obsessed she is with teeth. Yeah, Toothiana is nice, but a little creepy. I mean, she stuck her hands in someone's mouth. So that's a no. Mark, who out of this movie would you date? Yikes. Um... I can't remember the Jamie's mom. I don't know if she is ever on screen, but at one point she says, don't let Jack Frost nip ya. And then when he says that he's talking to Jack Frost, she just goes, ha ha. Okay, honey. (laughs) So that's your date. She's the least objectionable person. That's not a child in this movie. Okay. I'm dating a Yeti. Oh, the Yetis were cool. They seem cozy and nice. And I would like to give one a big hug. Yeah, I think the Yetis are nice. You know, Sandy, quiet, not going to really annoy you, and will give you nice dreams. Fiona, will Jack, or rather, will Jack's <laughs> teeth and Toothiana stay together? Um, no, I don't think so. I think somewhere out there, there's another set of teeth that are more appealing to her, and one day she'll find them. What do you think she's looking for in teeth? Lots of enamel. Um, pearly, strong, just the right shape. Okay. Well, I hope she finds it. I hope so, too. Last question, Mark. Should Rise of the Guardians be adapted into a stage musical? We know the writer of this movie has written a DreamWorks musical before, so he could do it again. I don't think so, because the coolest parts of this movie were very visual of his ice magic and the Yetis. And the black sand and the gold sand and all of that would be very hard to do on stage. I think the best musical version of this would be like 
an hour-long children's musical. That's what I was kind of thinking. And more of like a a little review almost. Like maybe each character sings a song about themselves. Oh, that would definitely happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's but the I best But I still don't know that do. I want to see that. Yeah, no, it doesn't need to happen. All right. I think that's about it for The Rise of the Guardians. Another DreamWorks down the drain. <laughs> Flushed away, you might say. <laughs> Wow. But that joke would be pretty crude. Next week, we will be rounding out the 1987 Best Pictures with Rain Man. 88. 88. Someday I'll learn that year. It's not today. But yeah, we are going to be looking at Rain Man, which is, of course, the winner of Best Picture in 1988. So we'll talk about the movie, but also talk about our sense of that year's Best Picture nominees and our own top five movies for 1988 and i'm sure we'll be discussing the i can only imagine sensitive and accurate portrayal of mental illness in the 1987 film 88 88 (laughs) until then you can follow the show on facebook and twitter at love to love pod and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at love to love pod at gmail.com make sure to rate review and subscribe especially on apple podcasts it really helps people to find the show and also i just like reading reviews Last question, Fiona. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Rise of the Guardians? Take good care of your teeth. Can't argue with that. <laughs> um, oh my god, my first thought was just, don't be afraid to stick your hand right in the person's <laughs> mouth. <laughs> but absolutely do way. not do That's a that. That's way to get acquainted quickly. Oh my, um, actual advice, um, have some fun. Find your core, find your center, and it's fun. Yeah. If you really like someone, uh, introducing them to your friends can be a good thing, like how Toothiana brings in her little tooth friends. Very good. So there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Oh, little Jack Frost, go away, go away. Don't you come back another day. There's lots of cold feet, all the lovers complain. You turned off the heat down in lovers' lane. The bench in the park is all alone in the dark. So little Jack Frost, get lost, get lost. Little Jack Frost, get lost.